Uh, as Sam said earlier, we're going to be looking through the, the book of James together. And, um, and we're going to be kind of time, tag teaming this, aren't we, together, uh, Sam and I. This is the first time I've done this, so Sam's promised to look after me uh, as we speak this evening. But I've really enjoyed us, us looking into this book. We've been looking at the book of James for a while, haven't we, with, uh, with Dan. We've been looking into this um, a little bit. But let's, uh, let's just talk about James because it, we're going to be in this series for a few weeks um, now. So really, what is the, the book of James? Well, James uh, was a brother of Jesus. Um, and this letter, or this, this book, uh, he wrote started off as a letter. And it was written to the scattered Jews uh, across the, f- the four corners of the earth as they knew it. Um, the church at that time was under much persecution. Um, and they were being scattered all over the place. And this was a, a book of encouragement um, from James and a book full of wisdom as well. This book comprises... Uh, Um, verses from the Proverbs, it riffs on the Proverbs, it talks about Jesus and some of the things that he said on the Sermon of the Mount and it combines all these things into like kind of bite-sized chunks and sayings that are really easy to take uh, wisdom from. Uh, Of all the books in the Bible, I would would humbly suggest this is probably the easiest one to understand because what we read in James and as it was relevant then, it is very easily relevant now, most of it to to what it is that we uh, that we do as Christians and, and how we live. So we're really excited over this series, having finished like the Wisdom Pyramid. This is now another kind of biblical book uh, on wisdom, and we're really looking forward uh, to what this teaches us. So uh, Megan read beautifully for us earlier. She read out the, uh, the scripture that, that we're looking at this evening, which is James 1, uh, 1 to 18. Um, and this, this whole book covers many different aspects, and even in these 18 verses where we're looking at this so much, there's probably four messages in this this passage alone, but we're going to look at these four, um, four things, and they are tests and trials. They're going to be. Then we're going to look at wisdom. Then we're going to look at the responsibility of the rich and, and those in position, and then we're going to be looking at persecution. So I'm going to read the, the first verses that we're going to be looking at. The, the first couple of verses are an introduction. Verse 1 is an introduction of James himself to the, to the scattered church. And then these are the first two verses, three verses. I'll read these and then Sam is going to talk to us about them for a little while. So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything. Yeah, so it says, consider it pure joy. And when I think of like trials and tests that I go through, we think of them as times of sad times, like upsetting times, times that like we can't wait for it to be over, like stressful and pain, like just times like that. But it's telling us to be joyful through that time, be joyful through your trials, be joyful through your tests. And I was thinking this week, as I was thinking about what to talk about with this, so I was thinking about the trials in my life and then, the trials in your guys' life, and I'm thinking your trials might be so much bigger than mine, might be so much, like my tri- trials might be so much smaller than some of the guys you're going through, but actually it doesn't matter because it says in the Bible, like, the one thing says it, it says consider it all joy, so that's for everyone, that's not just the small trials, that's not just someone who's going through a massive trial, it might be harder, but it does say like see the joy in it, be joyful for it, because that is what is building a strength in us, it's building perseverance so we're not lacking in anything and it, like, a maturity in us so we need those trials to be like that and um, there's an old actually we've seen a video about an old the silversmiths how they used to test silver and they used to put all the silver in this big pot and they would heat this pot up to boiling and all the impurities would rise out of this pot and the silversmith would scrape off the impurities off the top of the pot and he'd do this over and over again 
until the silver was tested, the silver was pure. And to know it was pure, he would look down into this pot and see his own reflection. And I was thinking that in my life and in our lives, that we get tested, we get put under the pressure, we get put under the trials, and we get heated up, all the impurities rise, the things that I don't want to see in me, like patience and anger or stress, rise to the top through these trials. But God just keeps, keeps forgiving me, keeps swiping off the layers, keeps taking the impurities off till one day, that he'd be able to look down on me and look down on you guys and be like, see a reflection of himself in you, that we would just be like children of God, what we've called to be done. Um, but, yeah, that's what I got from that one. But as it goes on to <laughs> verses 5 to 8, it says, um, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously, generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Sam. So, so now, moved on to wisdom. James says you need to ask for wisdom if you lack wisdom. And I think if we, if we look back to what we've just read, what we've just heard about the trials, they, where we're hearing about wisdom, if you lack wisdom, I think it's wisdom in the trials. I think it's knowing what the trials are for. I think it's knowing what to do in the trials. I think... Like Sam said, when you consider it pure joy, we should, it sounds quite perverse, but we should almost be grateful when we're put through a trial because what that means is God is testing us. Like the, like the, the silver, he wants to see the best in us. And um, sometimes we don't see that, do we? <laughs> sometimes we're in a trial, we just get really knocked and we get really confused or we get angry. Sometimes we shout at God and say, why am I going through this? Why am I struggling with this? And here James is saying, if you lack wisdom you should ask God ask God to help you with this to help you understand what is going on perhaps what it is you need to deal with perhaps what it is you need to get rid of what it is you need to surrender to God so that you can move on so that you can move out of this trial so you can have these impurities uh, wiped away so interestingly God talks about two types of people in this um, he talks about uh, well, he talks about those that would know those that would know what is going on perhaps they're they're wise already but he talks about those that have doubts so those of us that understand that perhaps some of the trials we're going through are, are allowed by God. He allows us to go through these trials. It's a bit like when you've got teenagers, isn't it? And you kind of, sometimes you just have to let them find their own way. You have to let them make their own mistakes and then they come back to you, don't they? And go, oh, if only I'd listen to you in the first place. And it can be like that with God. It can be like that with him when he says, you know what, I'm, I've got to give you your own will. But you're going through this trial so that you might change. You're going through this trial so you might get rid of some of these, these thoughts, some of these things that, that you do. But he talks about those that don't have belief and that they have doubt in God. He says, don't, don't ask for wisdom if you're one of these people that, that doubts, that kind of gets tossed around like a wave on the sea. He says, people like that are double-minded. You know, maybe that God's great one minute, and then, oh God, why would you let me go through this the next? God's great one minute, and he's terrible the next. He's my loving father one minute, and then why do I, why do I bother believing in God? Because what I'm going through is just too tough, and he doesn't care. There's that double-minded attitude. You're up and down and up and down. And God said, well, if, you can't, if you can't work out that I love you, if you can't work out that I'm for you, you know, if I get, why am I going to give you this wisdom? What are you going to do with it? You're up and you're down. You need to know that I am for you. You need to know that you can trust me. You need to know that when I give you this wisdom and you act on it, that things are going to get better. So there's this phrase or this thought of, of the double-minded that, um, that runs through this passage, really, that, that we've been reading, the double-minded. God says that they will receive nothing. It's going to be hard for them to receive anything from me because one minute they think I'm wonderful, and the next minute they're not so sure. 
and they flip between one and the other. And there's no firm foundation in that. There's no place to stand on because you don't know whether you're, you're coming or you're going. In Psalm 119, the psalmist David says, I hate the double-minded people, but I love your law. Now, hate is a strong word. I would interpret that as he, he is annoyed. He's annoyed with double-minded people. He's exasperated with the double-minded people that can't make their mind up about God. And he says, but I love your law. And what's the contrast here? That the double-minded flip and flop between one and the other, but the law never changes. That's why he loves God's law. That's why he loves the Bible, the word of God, because it never changes. It's always the same. And this is what God is, is saying, or James is encouraging us to do, um, as we go through these tests and trials, is to know that God never changes. God is good through the trial. God is with you through the trial. You can stand on God's promises. And then further, in, um, in Revelation chapter 3, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, it sounds very harsh, but what, what is being said here, what God is saying is that I would rather you were all out than be lukewarm, than flip and flop, be this double-minded, love me one minute, you know, be angry with me the next I kind of want you all in. I need you all in. I need you to know that I, as God, am all in for you, with you, that I am giving you everything. I've given you my son. I am giving you everything that I have. And I just want you to be all in. So this, this thought of being uh, double-minded, God is saying, and James is saying to us here, don't be double-minded. When you face trials, be single-minded. You know what? I'm going to get through this because God is with me. And there's something here he's trying to teach me. And I'm going to trust him to do that. So be single-minded rather than double-minded. Yeah, and in verses 9 to 11, it says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants. It, its, blossom, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So it seems like we're changing tack here. It's almost like we're on to a completely different subject. But in it, again, we will see this, this thread of being double-minded, of, of having your, your foot in two different camps. So humble circumstances we see here. People in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. People that are humble, that put others first, that seek to serve others, that, that come last, that put themselves last. You know, their life... Um, it's not immaterial, but it's, you know what, I want to see the happiness in others. I want to see the betterment of others. I'm, I'm being truly humble. Those in humble circumstances, though Jesus said the first will be last and the last shall be first. You know, if you're willing to put yourself last, then you will be first in the kingdom of heaven. And he said you should take pride in that high position if that's how you see yourself and if that's how you behave. But then he goes on to talk about the, the rich. He says the rich should take pride in humiliation. I struggle with this for a little bit. I'm trying to work out what do you mean by humiliation? Perhaps in embarrassment, you know, being deeply embarrassed about something. But it's like this humiliation, this, this thought of, um, you know, if you hold something in pride and then it's gone, it can be embarrassing, it can be humiliating. I don't know if any of you have seen, you know, you only have to turn on anything on the internet, any kind of, and an advert will come through. I don't know if you remember that guy, I think he was from Wales, he's a young man, and he won over 10 million pounds on the lottery. And they said within five years it was gone. And he's back to where he was. That's the humiliation that we're talking about here. He, he just, the money changed him. He threw everything into the money. The money was everything. Spend, 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 and then it was gone. That's humiliation. 
He, know, he lives his life now knowing he had that, but it was gone. And this is what God is saying about the rich here, is to not, not put your pride in your possessions, not to see what you have as higher than, than what God is, than what God gives us. He says it's like the wildflower, the wildflower that grows up in the desert, and it grows up and it blooms, and as soon as it do that, then the heat scorches it, and it withers, and its beauty is gone. And, he's, and when we talk about rich here, I guarantee there's, there's few of us here, I do this all the time, think, you think rich people, and you think like oligarchs, you think of that super yacht that's been in the sand recently, and you think these rich people, oh, you know, they're so rich, yeah, you know what I mean, they probably will be humiliated when they get to heaven, and there's nothing left. But if we live in the West, those of us, all of us in this room are in the top 1% of wealth in the world. Every single one of us are wealthy according to the world's standards. We're all wealthy. So this is a, a warning, an instruction to all of us to not place our trust in the things of this world because they'll be here today and they'll be gone tomorrow. But one thing remains, and that's the love of God for us and this eternal life that he promises us. So this is not a rebuke to the rich. To the rich. This is a, a, a warning of an attitude of placing your comfort in the things that won't last, the things that are never going to last. But put your comfort in God who never changes. You know, in, uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus, again, someone on the, the mount, talks about treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, is it okay to be rich in a Christian? Of course it is. It's what you do with it. It's how you steward it. It's how you own it. Do you put it before God, or do you put God first? We have this double-minded thing again. Are you, which camp are you in? Are you trying to straddle both? Are you willing to let it all go because you trust in God? So this is a a lesson to us again about being double-minded. We, we see a theme running here that no matter what you face, whether times are good or whether times are bad, who do you put your trust in? Who do you really put your trust in? And will you trust God in all circumstances? Let me, we go on to verse 12. Uh, and this, this is really linked to 2 and 4, which, which Sam talked to us about at the beginning. Um, this is, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because... Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So just briefly to to sum that up. So again, James is telling us, if you persevere under trials, if you stick at it, if you trust in God, there is a crown of life that is waiting for you. The eternal life with God is waiting for you. He is trying to make you more like him. He is trying to change you to be more like him, to be like the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is a a crown of righteousness, a crown of life. There is this prize that Paul talks about that is waiting for us. So God's saying, keep your eyes on the prize. Persevere. When times are tough, keep your eyes on me. Persevere and you will have what is coming to you. And then Psalm's going to... Lead us, lead us into temptation? I didn't really mean to say that, did I? That's not, uh, that's not great. Um, but verses 13 to 15 say this. They say, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. 
and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Yeah, so temptation is part of everyone's life. It's not for non-Christians. It's, it's, and some people think like when you become a Christian, like you won't be tempted, you won't, you're too strong. Or, but temptation is for everyone. The devil is a liar. He's a thief. He wants to take everything from us. It says we all look to put the blame on everyone else. Like we don't want to take the responsibility. But it says we are tempted by our own evil desires. It's our own heart. And it says, and not by God, because God doesn't tempt us. God never tempted us. It never comes from God. But it says after our desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. It says sin sometimes looks more attractive, but it would always lead to death every single time, whether it's now, later, on this life or next, but it will always lead to death. And it says Every good and perfect gift is from above, not from the world, it's from above. And I heard a story of, of a farmer, actually, of pigs, and he's, um, he's taking his pigs to this like, country show, and he, um, it was filthy, the pigs, he had to clean them. So he, he took them in to clean, and they were filthy, and he got them sparkling, he took hours on them just washing them, he got them real like, white and sparkling. And one of them slipped out of his hand, and he, the pig legged it straight for the mud. And he ran around and jumped straight back in the mud and was filthy again. And um, the, the farmer wanted to like, chase him, so he re- ran after him, wanted to just rugby tackle him, but he didn't get to him, but he got muddy again. But, um, and I just felt of that in our lives, like we're dirty, we're sinful, and I, we come to God, we come to Jesus for forgiveness, well, and um, we come clean. But as soon as that moment's over, like, there's been times where I've ran straight back into that mud, I've run straight back into sin, and he's cleaned me, and I just think, I bet God wants to just chase after me, chase after us, and just rugby tackle us, because he knows that the way we're going down is it's not the way, and his way is so much better than ours. And it just leads, sin will always lead to death. But I just thought, yeah, I heard that, I've heard that story, and I thought, um, and I've actually, I heard another story, actually, I know stories, but, um, well, I watched a video, actually, with you, didn't I? Yeah. And um, it was, he was sat at a table having dinner, the preacher, and he was, um, you're saying the devil will tempt us. So it doesn't matter who it is, he will tempt all of us, whether you're strong or not. And he said he will do his job. He will lurk around us. He will try and look attractive. He will try and tempt us in. He will go around and around. But the one thing has to be arranged, that he will not have a seat at this table. And it's, I thought it was just great because you think sometimes when you're, you're too strong to be tempted, you, if you're really strong, he won't tempt you. But he does, he tempts everyone. And he will lurk around, no matter who you are, and he will try and drag you away in the little cracks in where you're weak. But he said, if you don't, just don't let him sit at your table. Because as soon as you let him sit at his table, well, that's when it all kicks off, I suppose. But <laughs> just don't let him sit. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what I got for temptation, really. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's good. You're right, we're all tempted, aren't we? It's easy to think that we won't be, be tempted, but we are. Um, you're right what you said there about... Um, the wages of sin are death, aren't they? Desire leads to sin. We all have a desire within us, whatever that might be. When we hear the word temptation, we quite often, certainly in church circles, you think of temptation, you immediately think of the, the darker temptations, the things that nobody really wants to talk about. But we can all be tempted. We can be tempted to gossip. We can be tempted to judge one another. We can all be tempted to do so many different things. And the devil will do whatever he can. Like Sam says, he'll do whatever he can to tempt you. Whatever he can, he can, can get to you. But desire if we don't grab it if we don't stop it if we don't wrestle with it it will lead to sin and sin leads to death Romans 6 says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord 
You know, we've talked a lot this evening about tough stuff, about trials, about temptations, about difficult times, about needing wisdom. And, you know, we can talk about sin and we can talk about temptation and we can, we can focus on that. But the idea is that we focus on God. Because even when we are tempted, God gives us a way out. He always gives us a way out. He is our saviour. And although the wages of sin are death, God offers us eternal life through his son, Christ Jesus. He knew that we would always be tempted. And he knew that at some point we would always succumb to that temptation, that we would always get it wrong. And that's why Jesus came. Isn't it? That's why Jesus came. He says, you know, you're not going to be able to do it. So I'm going to have to do it for you. I'm going to have to pay this price of death because you're going to keep sinning. So I'm going to come and pay this price of death. But no one are always going to be tempted. Like Sam said, the devil's always lurking. He's always waiting to pounce on you. He's always waiting to make you feel bad once you have succumbed to temptation. So how do we deal with it? What do we do with it? The, the thing with temptation is to know that it's coming. Like Sam said, to be aware. Know that he's always after you. He's always going to try and trip you up. He's always after you. And so to know that he is there. And temptation is deceit. When you're tempted to do something, it's because you're going after something that looks better than what it really is. Temptation makes you want to do something that looks better than what it really is. In verses 16 and 17 of our passage, it says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect thing is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We talked earlier about him not changing, about being single-minded, about knowing about the goodness of God and who he is and what his word says. So temptation tempts us to believe in something else. It tempts us to think that something else is better than what God has to offer. Are you right to grab the, your uh, fishing rod? I like please he's come up with the, uh, this analogy. This is fantastic. So Sam works a lot harder than I do. Consequently, he's got a lot more free cash uh, in his pockets than I have. And so this evening, uh, Sam is going to offer a free giveaway. Now, I don't know if you can see what this is. If you want to hold this out. Does anybody want to come and get what Sam has got on offer? Does anybody fancy taking up on Sam's free gift this evening? No? <laughs> Jeff? <laughs> Out for night. <laughs> Thank you. Are you pleased with that or no? Uh, no. No. <laughs> you, we did a good job there. They're fake, obviously. Sam's not going to give away, what is it, 120, 130 quid? He's not going to give that away readily. That is a very, very simple demonstration. But we also saw a video, didn't we, when we were looking at, um, at James. And someone talked about us living a lot. It's a bit like we're, we're fish. You know, if you want to catch a fish, you need to put a good bait on there. You need to put a good lure on there. And the more, the more lifelike the lure is, the more likely is the fish will take a bite. You know, some of the, the money that you can spend on the right kind of bait, the right kind of lure, is astonishing just to catch a fish. But a fish has got a choice. He can, he can look at what he thinks is real and look, or look at the real thing. He's got a chance to make a decision here. He can look at it, and he can, he can swim away, or he can just grab it. And quite often, the, 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 more, the better the imitation is, the more inclined the fish is to grab it. So what does a fish need to know? If the fish is going to survive, if, if he could, the fish needs to know what's real and what's fake. If he could work out what a lure was like, 
the fact that it doesn't actually swim by itself. It just floats and it's the fisherman kind of making a wiggle. If he could work that out, he would leave the faith thing every time. But the only way he's going to make that distinction is really knowing what the real thing looks like. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we really grasp what is good for us and what is not? We, we need something to compare with. We need to know what the fake lure looks like, the temptation, and we need to know what the real thing looks like. In 2 Corinthians 10, it talks about how we beat the enemy, how we beat the things that come after us. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension, that's everything that would pretend to be good, everything that would pretend to be right. So we demolish arguments at every potential that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So it sets it up against the knowledge of God. It says, oh, I'm better than the word of God. I'm better than God. Come after me. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you that quick fix. I'll give you what you really need. So easy. So easy. But no. Instead, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So if, if you come across something that is too good to be true, like a wad of 20 pound notes, the chances are it is too good to be true. There is only one thing in life that is too good to be true, and that is salvation. That's the only thing that is too good to be true. It's free, and it will change your life forever and ever and ever. It is too good to be true. So someone offers you salvation through Jesus Christ, I suggest you take a big bite that you chomp on it. But anybody offers you any other answer to life, any other way of life, swim the other way, because it's a cheap imitation so what we've looked at tonight is being double-minded is being double-minded are you all in or are you all out do you know what is of God do you know what isn't when you're offered an easy way out are you going to take it when you're offered temptation are you going to take it when you have possessions are you going to lean on them more than you lean on God what James is seeing in this thread we see through this is are you going to trust God or not are you going to know who God is or not Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test, like the silversmith, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We need to know what that is. And how do we know what that is? By reading the word of God. We need to know who God is, we need to know what he says, and we need to know what the standard of truth is. We need to know what every good thing is that comes from above, like we've read in this passage. So how do we do that? We've looked at this wisdom pyramid over the last five, six, seven weeks, and where we get our wisdom from. And the base layer is the Bible. That's where we get our wisdom from. That's the base. It's where we stand on. That's how we discern what is good and what is bad, what is good for us, what is from God, and what is not from God. So we're not here to tell you tonight, just read your Bible more and everything will be okay. Because it's easy to do that. But that is one of the things we're saying tonight. Is to read the Bible. Know the Bible and you will know God. If you know the word of God you will know him. And you will know his character. We need to train our minds to reject what is bad. And to accept what is good. This is what James is saying here. Double minded. Are you all in or are you all out? Let's remind you again with this passage. Don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He never changes. His truth is always the same. His promises are the same. His character is the same. His love for you will never change. The good things that come from him will never change. We need to know the truth. 
so that we can take every thought captive and submit it to God. Now, just as we, as we finish tonight, we'll, um, we'll ask the band to come up shortly, if they would. Um, I've heard this story before. I can't remember who from. But it's about bank tellers. It's about people that work in the bank and that handle cash and the way they find forgeries. Now, you'd think they would show them forgeries and what a forgery is and what to look for, but they don't. They teach them what the real thing feels like. They get them to feel the real thing and to know it so well that the moment a forgery comes across, that's it. They know it straight away. Now, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. We need to know God and the things of God so well that when a forgery comes along, when a temptation comes along, we know it instantly. You know, when you're tempted to look at the wrong thing, when you're tempted to say the wrong thing, when you're tempted to take something that doesn't belong to you, when you're tempted to think a thought about somebody, if it doesn't feel right, it isn't right. If it's not what God would do, it's not right. If it's not a good gift from God, it's not right. If it doesn't say it in his word, it's not right. We need to know, we need to feel what is good. We need to get close enough to God that when anything that comes along that would rob you of what he has for you, that we know it and we can snuff it out. So get to know God. Now whether that's reading your Bible primarily, spending time with other Christians in the council of other Christians, if it's worshiping in your quiet time, just get to know God. Get to know that he is the real deal. So that really is the thread of what we've talked about tonight and not being double-minded. Be all in for God and then you'll know anything else that is not of God. So we're looking forward to, to the rest of James and what it brings. And one of the things I, I thought I would leave you with is there are five chapters in James. There's five days of the week in, you know, without the weekend, Monday to Friday. Just how about, we're talking about getting to know God, getting to know what is true and what is not. What is good and what is not. Why don't you read a chapter of James every day this week? And while we do this series, Monday chapter 1, Tuesday chapter 2, just read it through. And by the end of that series, you will know so much about what James has said, so much about what is good and what is not, how we should live and how we shouldn't. So that's just a challenge to you. And uh, just to start for 10, just get into that book of James and see what it does for you. Sam, will you pray for us before we go into worship? Yeah, Je- yeah Jesus, I, I thank you for this book of James, God, and what we've talked about tonight, God. I pray that you would just change people's hearts, God, and we'd, they'd listen to this word, God, word, God, and just, yeah, they would learn, God, they would pick up wisdom for it, from it, God. And I just pray that you'd fill everyone in this room tonight, God, that we would come out being better people, being stronger, more mature. Mm. You'd create a perseverance in us, God, so when trials hit, that we would be strong, God, we would know the real thing, we would know that every good and perfect gift is from above that we won't want no forgeries, God, that we want the real thing, we want the real deal. Just fill us, God. You're all we need, God. You're all we want. Yeah, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for who you are, God. Amen. Amen.